Well, welcome to another Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and uh, boy, it's interesting to see how Super Tuesday is shaping up to be a very, very interesting day um, spiritually, politically. I mean, now we're, we're um, T-minus a year and a couple of weeks away from the presidential election 2024, but everyone knows now that uh, if you live in a state that listening to the bottom line show where early voting is the way of course our colorado listeners are used to everybody votes by mail california vote listeners are getting that way as well as far as those in wyoming and new york and kentucky and other places where we have listenership it really is incumbent upon us as believers who typically vote conservative and notice i'm not saying that all believers are christians or whatever i mean all conservatives are christians of course all believers are but if we take, we pay attention for a lot of different reasons to what's happening in the culture around us from a slightly different perspective than those who are looking at purely the political angle. For example, the attacks uh, by Hamas on Israel mean something to us from a political standpoint, obviously, but it also, we're paying close attention to Israel and we want to know what's happening because we believe that Jerusalem is where Jesus is coming back to rule and reign for a thousand years. And, and so is, are these the, uh, the growing pains of Zechariah 12, where they talk about all the different nations that are out, uh, adversaries to, uh, to Israel, basically Jerusalem, and are they going to succeed? And of course, Zechariah's prophecy is, no, they will not. But please also understand, too, that they also talk about Judah. In the, a lot of people will start, let's start at Zechariah chapter 12, verse 3. Zechariah 12, verse 2, as I recall, uh, has a reference to Judah as well. And Judah's important because this is where it gets interesting. Judah is what we referred to that landmass before the year two, uh, you know, 33 AD when the Roman Empire renamed it Palestine. So when you see Palestinians fighting against Jews, and you see Christians and Muslims and Jewish people all kind of battling for the same territory, please understand that there are people who want to be back there because they understand the significance of this. Other people, it's just kind of a name-only type of thing. From what I've read, 90% of the, of the Jewish population in Israel aren't really Jewish uh, in terms of keeping the Sabbath and all that. They're, they're basically, they'll do it culturally, but it doesn't really have any... Um, any bearing on their souls. And so we're praying for the peace of Jerusalem, of course. We're also praying for uh, the people who are living in and around you know, Israel and Gaza and uh, all those different places. Understanding, of course, that Israel has really gone above and beyond to try to accommodate Palestinians. And yet when the Palestinians first got Gaza as their kind of, this will be our homeland area, they elected Hamas to take over, and Hamas doesn't care about Palestinians. They care about political power. They're funded by Iran, and here you go. You know, so here's the United States giving Iran. First, it was Hillary Clinton and the uranium, and then Barack Obama and the apology tour. Now Joe Biden saying, oh, here's $6 million, billion more dollars that may be frozen or may not be frozen. It's crazy. In the middle of all this, please do not miss the fact that there's political Judaism and then there are actual Jewish people. And perhaps you heard over the weekend about the hate crime that happened in Detroit. Um, it's very interesting. This happened in, um, uh, it happened in Lafayette Park. A woman by the name of Samantha Wool, who is the president of a local synagogue there and also a political strategist, was stabbed at her home. Um, it's interesting because Detroit police had a press conference yesterday and they determined that the stabbing, quote, was not a hate crime. Now, understand this for just a second. The most put upon people, 
the people who suffer the most indignance and uh, injustice against them because of who they are are not Muslims. They're certainly not Christians. They're Jewish people. There are more Jewish people reporting hate crimes against them in this country than any other people group. Now, understanding, of course, when I just said that, I realized someone might say, well, wait, you said they just report it more often. Does that mean it doesn't happen in other people groups? There are more reports of hate crimes against Jews than any other people group in the United States. So that being the case, Detroit Police Chief James White told reporters yesterday, we believe there are no other groups or anyone else at risk in regard to this particular incident. We believe this incident was not motivated by anti-Semitism and the suspect acted alone noting there was no forced entry. The body of beloved ministry and community leader, Samantha Wool, a big supporter of Israel, was found at 6.30 a.m. Saturday in front of her home in Lafayette Park, which is a fairly upscale area in the Motor City. Uh, They got a 911 call that morning about a person who was unresponsive. They found the 40-year-old Wool on the paved walkway in front of her townhome. She had stab wounds. There was a trail of blood on the walkway that led to her home. Police believe the crime occurred in the house. Now, you know, it's interesting. Many have speculated that she might be a victim of a hate crime. Um, It's interesting because she's the president of the Isaac Agree Downtown Detroit Synagogue. This is a, a historic building, old building in Detroit. Um, she became the president of the synagogue and kind of put together a whole renovation campaign. Uh, she had worked for uh, Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin. She'd worked for the re-election campaign of Attorney General Dana Nessel. Uh, please note that both of them are Democrats. So the idea that this is not an anti-Semitic attack, well, you know, you have to wonder. Because here's a woman who is a card-carrying Democrat, which would make her a leftist these days because the Democrat Party has kind of been overrun by the left. And But the fact that she committed the crime of being pro-Israel and now she's killed. But the De- Detroit Police Department, just to say, no, it's not really a hate crime. Uh, you know, just because, what, what is it? The, that word you use is not the I, I I didn't see Princess Bride, so I don't know that famous line. But I do recall, I mean, I've been uh, chaplain duty a time or two, for, especially for people who are in hospice and going through, you know, the final days. And I'll never forget seeing the death certificate of someone who um, had had a problem with alcohol for many, many years. And at the end of the day, uh, I had to help the family get the death certificate and other things that they were putting together. And it was interesting to read the cause of death and the cause of death basically said it was cirrhosis of the liver, but it was not because this guy was an alcoholic. And I remember pulling aside one of the workers at the hospital. I said, are you kidding? I mean, you all do respect. I'm offering pastoral counseling here, but even I could see that. And the woman at the hospital responded and said, yeah, but you don't know how insurance works. Now, I, and I don't know how insurance works, but I found it very interesting that somebody who had basically done that to their bodies Uh, was getting a pass, so to speak, because maybe that meant the insurance would pay for the, you know, the final arrangements. I don't know. But I do know enough about this to say, look, just because a woman is pro-Israel, if she was Democrat, it's possible that, you know, they're saying somebody acted alone, but this may have been a hit. I mean, you never can tell. I encourage you to keep her family in prayer, but also on the larger scale, 
please keep um, the Jewish community in prayer as well. I believe what Steve Gregg says at the narrow path where he says, look, there is no replacement theology. Christians, especially American and Western Christians are not the new Jerusalem. I mean, we get right down to it. The body of Christ now is in Jesus. The new covenant is in Jesus. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, which is in Jesus. And so the idea is that we didn't replace Jews with Christians, but rather we replaced the old covenant with the new covenant. And so someone can be Jewish and be in the new covenant. Someone can be a church-going evangelical Christian, but still believe the old covenant. In other words, I, I have to do all these things or I won't be good enough for God. And that's really crazy on the spiritual side. What's even more interesting is that here's a woman who is passionately a Democrat political operative, but apparently she crossed the stream. She got on the wrong side of the media. She got on the wrong side of the left. And I mentioned that if you're a Democrat and you consider yourself to be a liberal or a center-left moderate and you haven't noticed what's going on in the Democrat party, well, you haven't, maybe you need to have an awakening, as they say. That's kind of where that woke term has shown up. A.J. Rice is an author and a political strategist. He's a publicist. Many of the uh, guests that we've had on the Bottom Line show over the past couple of years have been because uh, A.J.'s done his homework and said this would be a good fit for your crowd. He's written a book about the woke movement in the culture and it's called the woking dead how society's vogue virus destroys our culture we've got a link for the book up at the bottomlineshow.com it is a politically driven book that talks about how this impacts politics but how it's also impacting the church as well because let's face it organized religion in particular biblical christianity is a huge threat to people who are woke especially for those who would consider themselves to be progressive on the Christian side of the equation. A.J. Rice is going to join me coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we are going to venture into some uh, unfamiliar territory for some people, uh, very familiar for others, and we're going to get into a definition of wokeism how it's impacting the culture, and a brand new resource to us anyway, it's been out for a little while, uh, called The Woking Dead, How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Our Culture. A.J. Rice is the author of this book, and he joins me now on video as well as on audio as well, so you can see him on uh, myhopenow.com. A.J. Rice, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Sir, great to be here. Appreciate it. 
AJ Rice is CEO of Publius PR, a premier communications firm in Washington, D.C. Uh, he has a variety of different talents. And as a matter of fact, many of the uh, uh, the really great A-list authors that you've heard here on the Bottom Line Show, we met through AJ. So it's really nice to actually have the uh, the conversation here. Uh, let's, let's talk about this whole wokeism. It seems like in the past decade that this whole woke agenda has really kind of uh, reared its ugly head. And what you write about in this book, The Woking Dead, is where the battle started is a guy named Donald J. Trump showed up, won the presidency, and you call him the vaccine and America needed. Talk about that. Yeah, look, um, wokeism is something that lowers America's immune system. Uh, it's kind of like a retrovirus, like, mm -hmm. you know, HIV, right? Mm -hmm. And I always said that Trump, even with the flaws, um, was kind of like, you know, white blood cells flying towards an infection. Mm -hmm. He... And I think one of the three big reasons he won in 16 and why, you know, he got more votes than any sitting president in history in 2020 is that three things. One, immigration. Two, the, you know, the fact that China has been eating our lunch and the free trade stuff. The fact that the Republican Party has kind of thrown in with the Chamber of Commerce, at least up till that point. Um, and, and the sort of radical free trade, you know, anything goes, the customer can be immoral. We still have to do business with him, um, which would be China. And then, and then the pushing back on wokeism, which up until recently was basically political correctness, at least a, a portion of it, a portion of wokeism is political correctness. See, wokeism, and I've been sort of trying to compile a unified theory of wokeism, is is not just one channel of tyranny. It's multiple channel, channels of tyranny or multiple flavors or colors, whether it's a Crayola 64 box or the, you mm -hmm. know, the Baskin and Robbins flavors. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. and, it, and it grows by the day. So yes, I think one of the reasons he won is because he, he rejected the premise. Mm -hmm. I think the Republican Party was tired of the you know play nice crowd the the you know you know drink a little herbal tea hang out with hang out on MSNBC you know Barack Obama's a wonderful man um, you know we can do business together when the cameras are off the Romney McCain even Bush mm -hmm. uh, variety of Republican politicians had expired it yeah. was growing mold in the mm -hmm. in the refrigerator. So Trump brought in what he what he always brought in. I mean, he was just bringing it to politics this time, which was the fact that, you know, he was the OG of being politically incorrect, whether it was you you saw him on The Apprentice or you heard him on Howard Stern or you, you, you know, you saw him in a commercial or a WWE or an NFL game. He wasn't going to read from the song sheet that a lot of Linguini-spined Republicans have been reading from, mm -hmm. be it Paul Ryan or Bill Frist. Now, some of these people, I'm sure, are wonderful human beings. But when you're up against a, a, a radical enemy, um, you know, you need to bring a Rottweiler. Right. And that's what Trump was. Um, and I think that's why a lot of religious people gravitated towards him. Maybe not at first, because, you know, I mean, he's, a, he's from Queens. He's a hard hat guy. Um, but I think at some point, uh, you know, whether it's a Orthodox Catholic or Jew or, uh, you know, an evangelical Protestant, you, 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 you 
you got people in the past that maybe have have gone to church more, but they weren't protecting freedom of speech or freedom of, of religion more right. than this man has done, be it personally or with judges. So it was one of those things where I think Christians wanted a bodyguard. They weren't looking for a preacher in chief or a priest in chief. They were looking for someone to stand outside the church and stop the sort of radical, secular, humanist agenda from coming in and basically baptizing Marx, baptizing mm -hmm. Karl Marx right in front of them in the pulpit. So that's what I think Trump brought. I mean, you know, none of us are perfect. There's only been one perfect person. So right. you know, yeah. you've got a defender in Trump and you will continue to. Yes. A.J. Rice is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Some great passionate uh, opening statements from his book, The Woking Dead, How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Our Culture. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. The left worked so hard, A.J., to keep Donald Trump from getting a second uh, term in office. And now we see, you know, the, the obviously what has happened is probably I, I used to say to people, how could you as a Christian support Donald Trump? And I said, well, look, I mean, what he did in four years in office is way better, I think, than anybody ever expected that he could. I think you could say the same in reverse for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, that these three years so far in office have turned out to be way worse than we thought they could have been. Um, and, and now we're kind of we find ourselves at a, a threshold of sorts. Uh, kind of give us your take on the issues with Joe Biden that we really should be concerned with. I mean, it, anybody can say, oh, I don't like him because like you said, this the CNN crowd, you know, said something and I don't like that. But can you give us a couple of specifics as to why the Biden-Harris presidency has become more dangerous than the Trump-Pence presidency ever was? Well, you know, when you look at Pence, Pence is someone that has served in the House. He's been a governor. He's been a, an executive. Mm -hmm. Pence has... I think his own problems with the Republican voting electorate. Um, but he had, he had managed, you know, he's part of house leadership and he had managed a state, right? Whether he, whether he managed it great or not, is, you know, different story. Trump is the first person elected president that had not held office before, or had not served, you know, at, at a high level in the military, like some of the generals that we have elected, whether it's, Washington, Jackson, Grant, Eisenhower, people like that. Mm -hmm. So that's the difference. When you and, and so you have different types of competence there, right? Both from Trump and Pence. With Kamala and Joe, the scariest part is you, you know, I think they serve two different masters. I think um, they're controlled, but by two different groups. And with Joe Biden in particular, I mean, you are looking at a a an American meat puppet. You're looking at someone dancing on the strings of something or someone. It's mm -hmm. and it's physical. Yes, the audience can see it. He shuffles about. Uh, he falls. He falls on his feet. He falls off bikes. He falls at the Air Force graduation. He falls all over. I mean, he's an older man, so some of this is like elder abuse at this point. Um, but he is, you know, so vulnerable and and so sort of malleable the question is who's calling the shots um some of it is the deep state probably a lot of it is the third string sort of backbenchers from the obama eight years that are in the white house the susan rice you know ron klein types and now mm -hmm. they're their deputies um 
So, but but he's kind of like Ron Burgundy, where you, you whatever you put in front of him, he's going to sign. Whatever you put in front of him, he's going to read. And that mm-hmm. is scary. That is scary. Um, you know, and 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 it's funny is in the eighties with Reagan, and then with George W. Bush, with Reagan it was oh he's losing his mind. I mean, Reagan is basically Michael Jordan mentally mm-hmm. compared to what we're dealing with yeah. with Joe Biden. Very true. George W. Bush, it was, oh, well, you know, he won by accident. He didn't really win. Uh, Al Gore won, a hanging chads, Florida nonsense. So Daddy called, and he called Jim Baker, and Jim Baker put all of Daddy's friends around W so that W had, you know, could play bumper cars with Cheney and Rumsfeld all day. So that was the narrative there. The scary thing about Trump was they could not control him. Right. They right. tried to black. They tried. They tried everything. They've tried fake dossiers. They've tried bugging. You know, Trump Tower. They sent Comey sent people in to to try to you know uh, you know get people on the record and wearing a wire and all kinds of things. So so that is the scariest thing to to, to sort of the uniparty, the establishment political elite in the United States. It's not Trump's jokes. It's not the tweets. It's it's the fact that no one owns him. Which is why mm-hmm. they had to create a boogeyman that owned him, and that's apparently Russia and Putin. Okay, Putin owns him. Um, whereas with Biden, it's like you know, you look at the family's business dealings, you know, and I don't want to, you know, and my book isn't about those things. There's other good books that are, but the scariest part is that he is a controlled meat puppet dancing on the strings of globalists, dancing on the strings of the uniparty. And of the sort of permanent, you know, establishment, the permanent administrative state in Washington. And look, I'm here. I'm in the nation's capital. My neighbors are these people. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, yep. so, yes. so, you know, everyone wants to vote themselves a raise. So if they hear that a politician is going to come in here and strip mine the federal government 10 layers deep, you know, like doing a facial to Uncle Sam, go all the way down. You know, so you can get rid of those pores that are nasty. That that is what Trump tried to do. That was the plan for for term number two, um, and that will be the plan if he were to win again. Well, it's very interesting and a, a great hypothesis and laid out, I think, very succinctly and uh, clearly by AJ Rice. AJ is the author of the book called "The Woking Dead: How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Our Culture." We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We're going to take a break, and when we come back we're going to take a look at hollywood going to look at the media look at the sporting world and see are there any unwoke stars or athletes left that we can look at and and use them as role models more of my conversation with aj rice in just a moment as the bottom line continues welcome back to the bottom line show i'm roger marsh aj rice is my guest and we're talking about his fascinating new book called the woking dead how society's vogue virus wokeism uh destroys our culture We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And this is kind of a fun thing for Super Tuesday. We have not one, not two, but three copies of AJ's book that we're giving away today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, AJ Rice is the author of the book called The Woking Dead, How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Our Culture. And we've got three copies of this book that we're giving away at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, it, it's so 
interesting to watch. I understand how we in the, uh, in the body of Christ need to be mindful of what's happening in the culture. I, I, I'm reminded of the late Billy Graham, uh, Mr. Graham, who was notorious for saying, don't call me Reverend, I didn't earn that title. <laughs> or Dr. Graham, well, you call him Reverend Graham, I guess. But uh, he was awarded many honorary doctorates. And he said, look, I'm Mr. Graham, Reverend Graham, that's fine. When he talked about his sermon prep, he kind of chuckled one time and said, well, you do realize that I'm preaching essentially the same message everywhere I go, and the message is repentance. But the message itself, the core didn't change. What did change is the cultural context with which Billy Graham would prepare. And I remember hearing him say one time, this is in the early 1980s, he said uh, when it came to sermon prep, he used two things. He used a copy of God's Word, a copy of the Scripture, and USA Today. <laughs> I thought that sounded kind of silly. Remember when USA Today was brand new? I don't even think they do a print version of it anymore. Maybe they do. The four different sections and the dumbed down super, you know, 700 words or less articles, lots of pictures, lots of graphs. Looks an awful lot like what happens in the news now. But he wanted to make sure that the message was topical. He, you know, he's traveling a lot. What are people talking about nationwide? What are some things that I can use as examples of how God works? In the same way Jesus would start his parables by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like... And then he would give an example of something culturally relevant to a group of farmers, for example. And it's so important for us to understand that there are a lot of people who are, who are adopting woke ideology about transgenderism or trans racism or you know, whatever it is. And we can do ourselves a huge favor as people in the body of Christ who are to go into all the world and preach the gospel if we know what they're talking about. And that's why I like A.J. Rice's book, The Woking Dead. We've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we're giving away three copies today here on the program. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. More of my conversation with A.J. Rice coming up next as the bottom line continues. A.J. Rice is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. A.J. is the author of a great book. It's, a, it's an eye-opener. Um, it's certainly not a Bible study per se. It is a commentary that holds no punches on what's happening in America in terms of wokeness in society. And I'll put that up in air quotes for our friends at myopenow.com. Uh, the Woking Dead is the book, How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Our Culture. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. You've got a section in this book, AJ, about the different sports media pastimes if you will that have all you know taken a woke stand and uh, we're thinking about you know we're during baseball playoffs right now thinking about what happened in georgia a couple of years ago with the all-star game and and how silly that turned out to be you do have a chapter in here about kobe bryant and you refer to him as the last unwoke nba athlete talk about what you mean by that well look he was from a different era. He kind of bridged the 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 eras of Michael Jordan and LeBron James. He was the sort mm -hmm. of the glue there. Um, you know, whether it's Shaquille O'Neal, other players from that era, they kind of they followed in, in in Mike's footsteps, in Jordan's footsteps. And Jordan, mm -hmm. you know, understood above and beyond he was an entertainer. He was an athlete. Right. He wasn't there to, you know, uh, weigh in on every single little picayune political issue. Um, and he caught some heat from that. Um, both his parents were in his were in the house when he grew up. Mm -hmm. uh, his mom was a strong personality. They had faith. Um, they're from the South. They grew up in like Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, you know, he played for Dean Smith 
at the University of North Carolina, the Tar Heels, who was kind of an old school traditional guy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I think he had certain values, which is why, you know, when he got he got flack from time to time, he would say things like, you know, Republicans uh, buy sneakers, too. And look, mm-hmm. he's the greatest of all time. It's not Kobe. It's not LeBron. He is. And he understands that to be the greatest of all time, like certain politicians, like Lincoln during the Civil War, like, you know, religious figures, whether it's Jesus Christ or Moses or whoever you want to, you know, Confucius or whoever you want to drill down on. If you're going to be the greatest of all time, you have to be the greatest of all time for everyone. Right. Right. Not for the Chinese market only, not for some, you know, sliver of the hip hop community or, or, you know, woke ESPN or MSNBC. You have to be it for everyone. And I think the greatest of all times, at least the three that are alive right now, three that are ironically fairly friendly with former President Trump, mm-hmm. um, they all get this. I think Tiger Woods gets it. Mm-hmm. I think Tom Brady gets it. Mm-hmm. I know Jordan got it. So with Kobe, yeah. Kobe's kind of this sort of throwback uh, athlete that, you know, we didn't really know. And look, I'm from Philadelphia. So I grew up with Kobe. I saw him play in high school. Uh, we're around the same age. Uh, you know, as a Sixers fan, I didn't like, you know, some of the Lakers stuff, uh, obviously. <laughs> they yeah. beat us in the finals in 01. Uh-huh. You know, I was an Allen Iverson guy. Um, but Kobe was a Phillies fan. He was a he was an Eagles fan. He got to see the Eagles win a Super Bowl finally. The famous mm-hmm. video of him, famous video of him holding his newborn in the dark, watching the final, the final moment of that game against Tom Brady, uh, yes. jumping up and down with his wife yelling at him in the background. It's a it's a famous viral moment by Kobe. Um, and look, you know, unfortunately, whether it's Kevin Durant or Steph Curry or, or, or LeBron, we kind of know where they stand on, you know, global warming and trans and vaccines. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, so whereas the purity of, a, of the game is kind of lost um, because we're not we're not just looking at somebody that that, you know, is an amazing football or, or, or basketball player. We're we're looking at an, an activist. So with with a lot of our entertainment, um, you know, they've become activists. And that's not to say you can't use sports to be an activist. Right. But if you're right. going to, if you're going to, this is like certain comedians talk about, can you make Holocaust jokes? Yes, but it better be funny. Can you mm. make September 11th jokes? Yes, but it better be funny. Okay. So if you're gonna if you're gonna pretend to be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Muhammad Ali, or Jim Brown, who took stands that I think in history has recorded them as noble, yes, um, you better be right. You bet. You better not. If you're LeBron James, if be, Dwayne Wade, it better not be about you know having doctors remove genitalia from children, mm, right? mm. because that is not yep. what Muhammad Ali or Kareem or Jim Brown were talking about. So, you know, Jack Johnson, the boxer, I mean, we can go through a lot of people that in hindsight, history has recorded them as as validating their noble effort. And and there have been actors and musicians that have done the same thing. But, you know, what goes on now in the modern era where they're taking this stand and that stand and LeBron James is 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 against the Hong Kong protesters um, because he wants to release a Space Jam sequel in China. Of course. So, so that's where we're at now. 
You know, this isn't this isn't the civil rights movement. This yeah. is athletes looking at their pocketbook, looking at markets, and tr- and basically saying, you know what, the heck with with the audience of this show or the heck with traditional Americans. I'm going to replace them with the 1.3 billion, you know, Chinese. Yeah. They'll be my new market. They'll be my new customers. And look, you know, and I'm sure you talk about it on this show when it comes to wokeism. You know, corporations are making that decision too. Right. Right. It's amazing when you think about how wokeism has infiltrated our country. And uh, today here on the Bottom Line Show, talking with author A.J. Rice about his book called The Woking Dead, How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Our Culture. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. A couple of minutes left in in the conversation, and I really commend this book to our Bottom Line Show audience. It's very comprehensive, and there's a lot to it. You take on Hollywood, and Hollywood's take, of course, we know how politically correct and woke Hollywood is. But there are a couple of guys in Hollywood right now who are making some noise in a different direction, and they are now seen as kind of the antithesis of the Hollywood hero. Uh, and that would be, I mean, in any other day, Chris Pratt, Mark Wahlberg, guys like that who are box office heroes and some of those popular movie icons in the world right now. These guys are very open about their faith. They're open about their love for their family. Mark Wahlberg just moved his family out of L.A. into Nevada for tax purposes and a more normal life. And they still have to keep defending themselves rather than being applauded for that. Talk about how that woke culture really has gotten to the point where it's now it's counterintuitive. It's it, you're the counterculture if you're the guy who stands up for decent values as opposed to woke values. Sure. And look, there is a difference um, with with Pratt and Wahlberg. They're both Catholic. Um, you know, they wear their faith uh, openly. Could they mm-hmm. put on a MAGA? Could they put on a, a MAGA hat? Probably not. But so at least Jesus is still more tolerable than some politician, right? <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. That's true. So, and look, Republicans, you know, you got guys like Reagan, Eastwood, who never, I mean, he was the mayor of a town, but, you know, Schwarzenegger, um, Trump, these people were rich and famous first. And then they went into a job that pays nothing to serve the American people. Right. You got guys like Bill Clinton and Barack Obama who came who 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 weren't they weren't worth anything. Um they came from nothing. And you know, Bill Clinton once said, if an actor can be president, then the president can be an actor. Well, we saw some of that for eight years with uh, mm-hmm. you know, Slick Willie. So but yep. now they're multi, multi-millionaires. Um Hillary, Michelle, Barack, and Bill, they got a ton of dough uh by just being elected. Uh, to serve. So it's interesting when you look at, you know, Republicans one way and, and, and Democrats another. When it comes to Hollywood guys, um, I mean, look, Pratt is is married to the to a Kennedy and a Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's married to Maria Shriver and Arnold Schwarzenegger's daughter. Do I see of of all of you know, Wahlberg? I don't think is ever going to run for office. Pratt yeah. might run for office someday. I don't know hmm. where, I don't know what he would do, but I, I get the feeling and I've got people, you know, in 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 that world that they kind of see that. But he's he's keeping his nose clean. He's mainly, I mean, he'll still do R-rated stuff, mm-hmm. you know, but I think he sees the world in, in a traditional sense. I mean, he came out, you know, Disney does this this expo um, where they show upcoming you know, films or Star Wars or Marvel stuff. And he like led the crowd in a prayer. Wow. Right? Which wow. probably made the boardroom at Disney. Yeah. yeah. 
all the people <laughs> at ESPN and, a, and ABC and, you know, uh, they it probably scared him a little bit. But, yeah. you know, he's, he's only going to go so far uh, because he still wants to work. But those guys are big enough. It's like Chappelle telling jokes about the trans uh, craziness. You know, they're big enough that they can, you know, they can be a bullet sponge when the woke show up yeah. and start firing at them. But if you're, they can take a punch, start, right. if you're just starting out tomorrow and you're a person of faith on one hand or you're a comedian that wants to tell jokes about illegal aliens or trans or global warming, you know, there's not as many spaces you can go to where you won't get canceled. So, right. you know, I mean, Wahlberg has Gibson back in him. Um, Gibson seems to be making a comeback, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, there are there are people out there, there are comedians that that, that like cancel culture. It's an amazing thing. Um, the joke police are out there. Um, and if they, can, if they can hunt you down for your faith, uh, they'll do that too. It's just Pratt and Wahlberg, I think, are big enough at this point. It's hard to get them. Yeah, definitely the exception rather than the rule. And yet that paints the perfect picture for us in terms of what we as Americans, what we as people of faith need to be thinking about when we cast our vote, either at the ballot box or at the ticket counter with, with the dollars that we invest. That's a way that we vote all throughout the, the course of our working day as well. And AJ Rice has uh, given us a lot to think about here. The brand new book, again, is called The Woking Dead, How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Our Culture. And of course, the underlying theme is there are ways we could stand up to this and we can actually push back against it. Uh, but you got to read the book and find out. Uh, the link for the book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Tons of five-star ratings, and I can certainly see why. Uh, AJ Rice, it's been great to get some spend some time with you here on camera and also on the, uh, on the audio portion of the program as well. Uh, where do we find you on social media where's the best place for us to link up yeah i mean i'm on pretty much everything either under aj rice or publius pr which is you know my day job i run one of the one of the premier sort of conservative um and you know a lot of christian clients too uh pr firms uh in the united states straight from washington dc but look you can find me publiuspr.com um and then you know you can get the book anywhere books are sold you know books a million uh barnes and noble Amazon, if you want to give Bezos money, uh, <laughs> right? So, so yeah, no, I appreciate it. And we appreciate this audience. Um, we appreciate the opportunity to speak to this audience. It's a smart group. It's a group that cares about preserving uh, American tradition, the American creed and faith. Um, you know, we're a nation of refugees, a Christian refugees, Judeo-Christian refugees, and, and Western civilization is really the target of the woke. Yeah. Um, they have they have two targets. We didn't get into it today, but the two targets that they have to get rid of is the middle class, and the nuclear family, and of course, the removal of all things Judeo-Christian, Greco-Roman from uh, our daily lives. Well, that's certainly food for thought for the next conversation, so we'll be sure to put that on the calendar. Uh, A.J. Rice, The Woking Dead, How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Our Culture. The link is up at thebottomlineshow.com. A.J., thank you so much for being with us today here on The Bottom Line Show. Thank you, sir. Well, great to actually have a conversation with A.J. Rice after working behind the scenes with him for so many years. Uh, the brand new book is called The Woking Dead. We've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Our Culture. 800-227-5278. Uh, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. If you just tuned in, because a lot of people who listen to The Bottom Line Show tune in on terrestrial radio 
right around this time. So we've got the whole network together. I encourage you to go back and hear the first half of my conversation with A.J. Rice and know that he'll be back on with us again throughout the election, especially as we look at what's happening in the in the woke world. And that is designed to basically try to knock down any kind of structure that gets in its way. And uh, one of the structures that they really hate is the church and our look, our view at a life from a biblical worldview. Uh, 800-227-5278 gets you through to the bottom line show for A.J. Rice's book, The Woking Dead. On the other side of this break, I want to talk about why it's so important for us as believers to understand the culture that we're in, especially as it pertains to woke values that you might be kind of uh, dabbling with and dabbling in and not even realize it. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. When you were in an accident, Stephanie Cover of Cover Law is the only personal injury attorney you need. Stephanie talks to victims all the time who wish they would have signed with her first. Unfortunately, once you've signed a retainer with a different attorney, Stephanie can't represent you. So it's crucial to have Stephanie's number handy now and make the smart call the first time. Stephanie is the right attorney to represent your personal injury claim, specifically because she worked for insurance companies for 20 years, so she knows the best questions to ask and when. Stephanie knows when things don't sound accurate, and she knows when she's being deceived. Stephanie is a Christian, and telling the truth is vital, so she holds professionals to that standard, too. Stephanie's unique blend of skill, expertise, and compassion get you real results. Bookmark Stephanie's website now so you don't have regrets and pass it on to your friends and relatives who will need it. Just go to kbrightradio.com slash cover today to set up a free consultation. That's kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R. Welcome back to the Super Tuesday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. My thanks again to A.J. Rice, the author of the book called The Woking Dead. Great title. How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Our Culture. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have not one, not two, but three different uh, copies of this book that we're giving away today. 800-227-5278-800-227-5278-800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, what's interesting to see with all what's happening in Israel right now, and of course, our love as Christians for Jerusalem and the people of God there and understanding that you know, the reports are you've got Christians, Jews, and Muslims living together there, the Abrahamic covenant, if you will. But then you see the number, how difficult it is. I know Leela Gilbert, a dear friend for many years, lived there for a decade and says it's, it's not easy to be a Christian in Israel. Um, and then you see the number of Jews who are allegedly culturally Jewish, but not necessarily spiritually Jewish, but 90% would qualify as atheists. And that brings us to another issue, and it's one that has confused and confounded me for many, many years, many, many election cycles, and we'll see it happen again. We see time and time again the number of people who identify as Jewish in the United States, you know, faithfully wearing yarmulkes and attending temple and just being as orthodox and dedicated and devoted in their Jewish practice as they could be until election time. And then the election rolls around and they vote Democrat. The majority of people who are Jewish vote Democrat. Same thing with Catholics. I don't understand. And so I I ask the question on a fairly regular basis. Why do so many Jews and Catholics support Democrat or Bernie Sanders type candidates instead of looking at the values that are there? I think Eric Johnson, the mayor of Dallas, had a lot of courage a couple weeks back when uh, he he won re-election. I mean, he's 
Dallas is one of the bluest cities in America. <laughs> the Dallas Metro, fifth largest media market in the country. The city of Dallas, 10th largest city. Uh, yes, there are actually cities in Texas that are bigger than Dallas, but in terms of uh, footprint, everybody knows Big D is a Big D. Eric Johnson was a Big D Democrat when he ran the first time in uh, 2019, and he won pretty handily. He won over the city. He had 98% of the vote for him in the uh, in his reelection bid in 2023. After he got elected, he then left the Democrat Party and said, I can't support this platform anymore. The leader of the Democrat Party in Texas then responded by saying, well, come on, man. I mean, you, you never would have gotten reelected if it weren't for us. But I look at that 98% voting number and say, maybe not. I mean, maybe he probably could have run as a Republican or an independent and had some success. But back to the Jewish influence on the Democrat Party in the United States. It doesn't make any sense to fight for religious freedom and then vote for Democrats. It doesn't make any sense to fight for the sanctity of human life and then vote for Democrats. Uh, we recently completed a campaign, and congratulations to everybody who was involved in it, where we were raising money for uh, preborn. Um, now, you can still give to preborn. I mean, they're still a part of our program, but we had a campaign where a bottom line listener on our 12th anniversary back on September 19th put up a $15,000 donation that uh, he said, let's put this as a matching gift. I'll put up 15000 if we can raise 15000 Let's get two. Uh, ultrasound machines and preborn clinics right here in Orange County. And we did. We just crossed that hurdle yesterday. And uh, I'm so grateful to everybody who gave gifts, large and small, uh, to make this thing happen. So to know that two more ultrasound machines are going into preborn clinics uh, literally within weeks. And I'm so thrilled that we were a part of that. Uh, by the way, 833-850-BABY is the number to call if you want to get through and make a donation. Typically, it costs an average of $28 per visit for a woman who goes to uh, get an ultrasound done to uh, have that ultrasound, uh, you know, the imaging uh, by the time you kind of, that covers the cost of the machine a little bit. The machine costs $15,000. And so every time a woman goes to a preborn clinic, uh, it, well, we know that 85% of the time she'll choose life for her preborn child. And about 10,000 women last year heard the gospel while they were at the preborn clinics and gave their hearts to the Lord as well. It's a phenomenal ministry, and all the money that we donate and raise here on the Bottom Line Show goes to the ultrasound. It doesn't go to administration or advertising or anything of the sort. Um, $28 per child, so if you make a $280 donation, that's for 10 ultrasounds, which would save statistically nine babies. And then you can do the math from there. Uh, you can also give a one-time gift, uh, or you can give a monthly recurring gift. That's how Lisa and I like to do it. But it's interesting to, to see how this plays out because how many people of the Jewish or Catholic persuasion will say, yes, preborn's a great ministry, and then vote for Catholic uh, candidates who would vote to pass as many abortion laws as they possibly can. There's a big inconsistency. Same in the, in the Jewish side of the equation. On the other side of this break, though, we're going to take a look at the, uh, the, the, the squad on the far left-hand side of the uh, House of Representatives, uh, and how they are taking aim at President Biden because they don't think that the U.S. should be supporting Israel, but how a leading strategist for Israel and the Democrat Party is beginning to wonder, does the Democrat Party love affair with uh, uh, the Jewish people in the United States? Does it have a shelf life and is it ending right now? We'll take a look at that coming up next as the bottom line continues. 
You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and last a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to Preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Super Tuesday edition of the broadcast. You have a few moments left to get in on the giveaway. A.J. Rice and the outstanding book about how the left is coming for the church, how it's coming for Christian values, and anything good and decent in society. A.J.'s book is called The Woking Dead, How How Society's Vogue Virus is Destroying Our Culture. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We have not one, not two, but three copies of that book to give away. And we're giving them away to you here on Super Tuesday. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Um, a member of the Israeli consulate here in the United States who served as media director for a number of years has noticed something about what's happening in America. Jake Novak is the former media director of the Israeli consulate in New York. And he gave an interview uh, to Fox News Digital. And in the interview, he said he's noticing that there's a big shift in how Jewish people vote. And a lot of it stems from the fact that you've got a number of members in the House of Representatives who are actually, imagine this, if you will. Joe Biden ran as kind of a moderate Democrat. Kamala Harris was put on the ticket to show how radical and leftist this team could be. She's proven largely ineffective. He is just taking orders from somebody and giving speeches and doing what he's supposed to do. But surprisingly, after the attack by Hamas on um, Israel back on October 7th, uh, President Biden did what a president of the United States should do. He flew to Israel, flew to Jerusalem, Um, unless they moved it back to Tel Aviv. And he met with Prime Minister Netanyahu and pledged U.S. support. He also pledged $100 million in support for the Palestinians in Gaza, uh, provided that that money doesn't wind up in the hands of Hamas. Now, of course, you've got the squad. Remember, they were all incoming freshman congresswomen years ago, and they're leftists. They're all radicalized Islamists. Uh, Ilhan Omar of Minnesota, Rashida Tlaib, Michigan, and others. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, they're all in there. And they've been criticizing President Biden because he's supporting Israel. But here's what Jake Novak, the former media director of the Israeli consulate of New York said um, in looking at what's happening as the election's shaping up. He says, I have not seen this kind of shift in Democrat support in 40 plus years. He said, in 1980, Jimmy Carter won a majority of the Jewish vote. 
But there were a lot of Jewish voters who were disappointed in him for the way he handled the Iran hostage situation. So though he won a majority of the Jewish vote, his support was way down from 1976. And Jake Nowak's comment is, I'm seeing this same type of shift among Jewish voters now, where they're moving away from the Democrat Party and they're looking for people who support Israel. They realized that there was a lot of pressure on President Biden. At first, remember, he said, oh, you know, I, I don't think Iran was involved. And, you know, then they couldn't avoid the fact that the Hamas attacks were funded by those terrorists. So I, I, I submit to you that even though the Jewish vote is oh, six, seven million people, uh, if there were a huge shift, it could be a game changer for conservative candidates who are running in 2024. We'll keep an eye on it, but please understand, if you are Jewish, if you're Catholic and you're listening to this program, your political party of Democrat does not support your values. That's not necessarily good news for you. It's good news ultimately, but that is the bottom line on that. For our KCBC crowd, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. And Rabbi Schneider, Discovering the Jewish Jesus, coming up next. For those who remain on the network, kind of an interesting story, a follow-up to one we've been following here on the Bottom Line Show with regard to the issue of whether or not there was a widespread election fraud, whether or not the uh, uh, claims of Donald Trump and his cronies were baseless, and what's happening to the 19 different people who were indicted in the Georgia recount scandal. We'll take a look at that coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Super Tuesday, and that kind of ominous music means... Yeah, we got an ominous story to get into, but this is, this is a tough one, and I'll be honest with you, this has got a personal thing for me. And for anyone who's listened to the bottom line for a long period of time, because there are people who are facing some pretty serious legal charges and challenges. And I mentioned uh, just before the break that uh, we had a couple of uh, plea deals that were worked out over the weekend and another one that was just announced this morning. The uh, over the weekend, uh, Sydney Powell, you remember her uh, plea deal went down, I believe it was last Thursday, and then Kenneth Chesbrough. Uh, they entered guilty. I mean, technically, if you've ever done anything with the law, this has been <laughs> crash course for yours truly and others. What's the difference between a plea bargain and a guilty charge and this, that, and the other thing? The reality is, if someone is accused of a crime and they can bring them to trial, have the the evidence show up, then the evidence, you know, either determines that they're guilty or not guilty. And there's all sorts of little legal maneuvers that can take place over the course of um, the, the trial itself in terms of uh, what do you do? What do you do to get people uh, to, you know, if you're the prosecution, you want a guilty verdict. If you're the defense, you're trying to defend. But sometimes they're kind of two sides of the same coin with regard to what the criminal justice system is looking for. So in a plea deal, <clears throat> rather than go for a full-blown conviction with a jury trial and everything, They'll look at the evidence, look at the charges that are there, and then the uh, usually the state or the county will bring up charges and say, okay, here's the deal. We don't want to take this to trial. You don't want to take this to trial. If we go to trial, you're going to be in jail for a long period of time, potentially if you lose. Um, why don't we offer a deal where you agree to plead guilty and then we suspend the sentence, or you agree to plead guilty to a lesser charge and maybe you get less time in prison or less fine, whatever it is. There were 19 different people, including Donald Trump, who were indicted in uh, this grand jury investigation in Fulton County, Georgia, 
with regard to the election there and the claims that the election had been rigged somehow. Donald Trump was famous for saying uh, they, they were stolen from them. But there were a whole group of people behind the scenes. And when the indictments were first handed down, we here on the bottom line speculated that they were literally just casting the net as wide as they could. Anybody who had anything to do with anything regarding this case was going to be charged. And the idea was, can we get something to stick? Sidney Powell rather famously or infamously said there was an issue with Dominion voting, uh, the machine making companies and the ballots and, and the way these things were counted. And she had proof and she had evidence. And next, then next thing you know, she's facing one felony charge and six misdemeanors of interfering with the court and a variety of different charges we'll get into in a little bit. In the case of Mr. Chesborough, same type of deal. And there's also a, a third guy, a local bail bondsman, who was the first to cop a plea deal, as they say, uh, for his involvement in doing something uh, that was relatively small but was going to really ruin his life a lot. And therein lies the rub. The question in a case of a plea bargain, oftentimes it's a rather powerful person who knows they got caught doing something, and then what winds up happening, <clears throat> excuse me, um, that what winds up happening then is they say, okay, well, you've got, you're trying to get me for all these different charges. I will agree to a plea bargain deal on this one charge. They'll suspend the sentence, hopefully, and for them, and then they you know, get to pay a fine and do some community service. And again, these are gross oversimplifications. I'm not an attorney. Uh, if you are an attorney and there's something you need to correct me on, please give me a call at 800-227-5278. But with regard to, there's the, there's the RICO Act, the uh, Racketeer-Influenced and Corruption Act, that it basically gets misapplied in the court all the time. Pro-lifers get stuck on these RICO charges uh, a mile a minute because the left likes to say, well, if, if we're shutting down a pre-born clinic, for example, that's good because they're bad. But if pro-lifers go out and they are in front of one of those Planned Parenthood clinics, well, you're blocking their entrance and you're keeping them from doing business. And, and those have been misapplied and grossly overused in the past. The RICO uh, statutes, though, have actually, been <clears throat> have, have actually been used in this case, and those charges seem to keep getting dropped one by one. But a fourth defendant in this case actually struck a plea bargain deal that was approved by the court. They worked these things out ahead of time. And then they, it gets a preliminary approval by the court. Then they have to go through the actual proceedings. The attorney in this case is Jenna Ellis. And if you've listened to The Bottom Line Show for any period of time, you know that Jenna Ellis used to be a contributor to The Bottom Line Show. As a matter of fact, it was back in 2015. I was first made aware by a publicist, a dear friend of mine named Don Otis, who said, have you read this book, The Legal Basis for a Moral Constitution? And than the moral basis for a legal constitution. I get the title transposed. Anyway, it was a book that Jenna wrote. It looked like kind of a master's thesis of, so, or so, of sorts. She published it on her own, scraped together a few bucks and hired a publicist and was trying to solicit interest in interviews. 31 years old, bright, articulate. We brought her on the show. Kept having her back all through the 2016 election campaign where she was pretty much not a Donald Trump supporter, but offered good commentary. 2017. She was a pretty regular recurring visitor here to the Bottom Line Show. 2018, when I had my open heart surgery, she actually sat in for me on the show a couple of days. I mean, that's how involved that relationship was. And then over the course of time, she moved on into 
bigger and better opportunities, was the uh, first director of policy for the Dr. James Dobson Family Institute. That was kind of a short-lived stint because then she moved over to Capitol Hill and spent a couple of years as a spokesperson who has a legal background. She did, in fact, uh, graduate from law school, uh, University of Richmond, I believe, back in 2011. But she was part of the Trump legal team. Well, first she was part of the Trump just campaign, let's get him elected team. And she was doing all the interview circuits. And you do realize that when you see people on the panels of the you know, CNN, MSNBC, and stuff like that, they're in one of two positions. Either they are doing this for nothing because they want the exposure to build their career, or they're extremely well paid because they generate a lot of audience. As a matter of fact, if you watch Fox News Channel, and I know fewer and fewer people do these days, but if you do, there's a woman who has her own show called Laura Ingram. Laura's a very interesting and compelling host. And when Laura was a recurring contributor to Fox News Channel, she made more money than I think she does as an anchor. I mean, it, it, was, it could be very, very lucrative to be that talking head, guest panelist, analyst type of thing. You work either for the network, they pay you a lot of money, or you work for whoever the political candidate is. In this case, Jenna Ellis worked directly for Donald Trump. So it was kind of a surprise. I mean, first and foremost, I, I had a feeling she was going to be indicted. They got everybody who was anywhere within the room in Georgia wound up being indicted. But earlier today, she pled guilty or pleaded guilty, still not quite sure why it's pled or pleaded instead of pled, uh, to a felony charge on her efforts to overturn Donald Trump's election loss. Very interesting. She entered into a plea deal, and the plea deal goes something like this. She was up on a couple of different felonies, actually. And the fact that she only had to basically agree to plead guilty to one of them is actually really good news for her. She could have wound up with a lot of time in prison if she'd gone to trial and lost. Now, in Sidney Powell's case, she pled guilty to six misdemeanors. She'll serve six years probation, pay a $6,000 fine. Uh, Mr. Chesborough played, pled guilty to one felony, and he's going to serve five years probation, pay $5,000 in restitution, and 100 hours of community service. Um, it was Scott Graham Hall. That was the bail bondsman. Five misdemeanor charges, five years probation. It's interesting, all four of these people, by the way, um, as part of their sentencing, as it were, have to write a letter of apology to the residents, the voters of the state of Georgia, apologizing for what they did. It's pretty crazy. Um, Janelle's got the same sentence as Chesborough. Uh, she's got five years probation, $5,000 she'll pay in restitution, 100 hours of community service, writing the apology level, letter. But then comes the big whammy, and this is what I think the DA was looking for. Fannie Willis, the uh, prosecution team, the, the district attorney in, uh, uh, in Fulton County. They've charged each of these people with racketeering. And all of those charges have been dismissed in exchange for a plea deal and probation. And I <clears throat> wasn't aware of this, but <clears throat> excuse me, the probation part is, uh, is favorable, obviously, but it's still a guilty verdict. In Georgia, they have something called a first-timer rule. If you have never been convicted of a crime in Georgia prior to going before the court, you can basically apply for this first-timer status, and as long as you meet the terms and conditions of your deal, in other words, five years probation for her, $5,000 paid in restitution, serving 100 hours of community service, writing the apology letter, which apparently she's already done um, and turned it in, 
then at the end of five years, this will go off a record. It'll never, it'll show up like it was never there. But the big fish in all of this <clears throat> for uh, the uh, uh, Fannie Willis and company is that now Sidney Powell and George Chesborough and, uh, um, and Jenna Ellis all must testify against everybody else who's up on charges, which includes John Eastman, Rudy Giuliani, and, of course, former President Donald Trump. And they're not allowed to talk about this case on social media. This is very, very interesting. It's very disappointing. I'm not going to lie. This is not the kind of thing eight years ago, seven years ago, six years ago, as we were working so closely together that I ever would have imagined would happen to her. And I realized that a couple of months ago when they all had to turn themselves in, you look at some of the bug shots, these people are smiling, they're happy, they're like, yeah, we're going to win, they're going to take us to trial, they're going to find there's no evidence. And next thing you know, well, the Jenna Ellis that was in court today in Fulton County didn't look a whole lot like the one who posed for the mugshot with hair all done up in makeup. As a matter of fact, it was a very tearful, tearful and somewhat remorseful Jenna Ellis. On the other side of this break, we're going to hear she had an opportunity to read her letter to the court, which I believe is also the letter of apology to the, uh, the residents of the state of Georgia. You're going to hear a lot of emotion. You're going to hear, I believe, some genuine remorse, but it also raises the question for those of us as Christians who are working in the world, in the world but not of it, what kind of accountability do we have, not only, forget the people that you're talking to, to stand before God and to say, wow, I got sucked up in this and I was wrongity wrong and my actions may have hurt people and I'm legally responsible, especially for somebody who is an attorney. You would think that they would pay closer attention to what the law actually, what laws were potentially being broken was this a blind allegiance to democracy and saving the integrity of, integrity of American elections, or was this a power trip by somebody who had spent so much time around the most powerful man on the planet that she started to believe that maybe some of that was going to wipe off on her too, and she was untouchable? We'll hear the, uh, the statement in the court from Jenna Ellis, now convicted of a felony. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. You ever heard the expression, if you were charged with being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? I want to ask you a question as it pertains to the sanctity of human life. We talk often about preborn here on the Bottom Line Show, and one of the things I love about preborn is there's kind of a, a trial that happens every time a woman comes to a preborn clinic. She gets a pregnancy test, she gets an ultrasound, she gets to see the baby's image, and then she has to make a decision. So rather, she's kind of on trial, but she's also judge and jury too. What's going to happen with the child's life? Is he going to live? Is she going to die? The beautiful thing about preborn is it's provided, the service is provided free for the women who come in. And we make it happen. $28 donation provides one of these ultrasound visits. And as a matter of fact, we recently just passed the $15,000 mark that met another match that we had in place for getting a preborn ultrasound machine right here in Southern California. 833 850 Baby is the number to call. 85% of the women who see the ultrasound at a preborn clinic decide to choose life for their baby, either to be the child's mother, or to release that child for adoption. Your tax-deductible donation, $28, $280, $15,000, makes all the difference. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229. Call Preborn now. 
Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Our ominous Jenna, Ella ple Jenna Ellis pleads guilty music there in the background. Thank you, Joel, for that. Hey, congratulations. Before we go any further, um, we had three callers for A.J. Rice's book, or three winners, I should say, for A.J. Rice's book, The Woking Dead, How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Our Culture. That link is still up at thebottomlineshow.com. Congratulations to Jane from Chula Vista, Michael from San Diego County, and Dina from Mission Viejo, who called in and won. So congratulations, guys. And uh, thanks for taking the time to dial in okay let's get into this now we've got the audio this was the, the the whole proceedings that happened today took about 25 minutes and i it was very interesting to watch msnbc which i often say msnbc stands for more stuff nobody cares about i got that line from michael medved but they don't typically show anything but propaganda they ran the whole 25 minute case or video live or at least they put it up on their website because i think they're just sniffing for blood in the water and they wanted to make sure that if they had a chance, oh, we got another one, we got another one, all these Trump guys are lying, and et cetera, et cetera. After going through all the procedures, we'll put the 23-minute video up at thebottomlineshow.com if you want to watch it. It's really interesting. I mean, the, the courtroom's just kind of, you know, chill, and people are kind of talking, and they're talking about practical things like whether or not uh, she would be able to leave the state this day because that first-timers law is a Georgia thing. She lives in Florida. Would it transfer over to Florida? Yes, it would. But... She's got a two o'clock flight to get home to Florida. Can she leave today or does she have to stay in Georgia one more day? Just little procedural things like that. But then she had a chance to make her presentation to the court. And I want you to hear this. And you you be the judge as to whether or not you hear contrition or, you know, that age old question. I'm sorry I got caught. Joel, go ahead and run the tape. As an attorney who is also a Christian, I take my responsibilities as a lawyer very seriously and I endeavor to be a person of sound moral and ethical character in all of my dealings. In the wake of the 2020 presidential election, I believed that challenging the results on behalf of President Trump should be pursued in a just and legal way. I endeavored to represent my client to the best of my ability. I relied on others, including lawyers with many more years of experience than I, to provide me with true and reliable information, especially since my role involved speaking to the media and to legislators in various states. What I did not do, but should have done, Your Honor, was to make sure that the facts the other lawyers alleged to be true were in fact true. In the frenetic pace of attempting to raise challenges to the election in several states, including Georgia, I failed to do my due diligence. I believe in and I value election integrity. If I knew then what I know now, I would have declined to represent Donald Trump in these post-election challenges. I look back on this whole experience with deep remorse. For those failures of mine, Your Honor, I have taken responsibility already before the Colorado Bar who censured me, and I now take responsibility before this court and apologize to the people of Georgia. Thank you. Now, I mentioned in part of the plea deal that she would have to give an apology to uh, the, the citizens, uh, voters of Georgia. And what she did there, if you watch the whole tape, is they, this is now entered into the record. I mean, the, I don't know that Cindy, Cindy Powell and the others did this. They, I don't know if they read their letters in court, haven't heard those hearings. But now it's, it's entered into the record. And the judge, actually in this case, um, commended her. Uh, he said it's very unusual for an attorney to be in a situation like this where you are, uh, you know, you're, you're you're basically admitting that you've committed a felony here. And the felony charge basically stems from the fact, of, here, here's a, 
what happened. I mean, the, the idea, first and foremost, the indictment was going after her. They said that she helped uh, write plans on how to disrupt and delay, congre delay congressional certification, the January 6th thing. Uh, I don't know how much influence she had on that. It looked like John Eastman wrote a lot of that stuff. And he wrote it a month before, basically explaining, if we get to the point where we have the delegates who will cha challenge the electorate, then Mike Pence can go ahead and decertify. But since they didn't do it in time, you didn't have that option anymore. I did hear her on Charlie Kirk's program, Salem Network, the day before the election, actually saying as much, saying, yes, he could still do that. That wasn't true. I mean, so love, hate, you know, like Trump, don't like Trump. What she said, there was a lie. Um, there was also a hearing in Pennsylvania. There was another one in Georgia where they met with electors or the electorate, if you will, to basically put together a, a group of pro-Trump electors. And they did this in Georgia, Pennsylvania, Arizona, and Michigan and said that they had evidence and the evidence that they cited was not factual. What's interesting about this, as I mentioned, you can challenge the electorate if you get electors who say, wait a minute, you know, our, 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 we have some discrepancies here, whatever. It has to start with the states. It can't start with Rudy Giuliani saying, hey, everybody come down to Waffle House and we're going to have this meeting or wherever they did it at some hotel. The fact that when they called this meeting, they then made false statements. This is where the aiding and abetting come in. They, they claimed that there were 2,500 people who had been convicted of felonies in Georgia and therefore were not eligible to vote. Ironically now, Jenna Ellis has been convicted of a felony. She's not eligible to vote. There was also the claim that more than 66,000 people who are under the age of 18 voted in the election. If anyone tries to tell you, well, let's get that early registration going. Let's let 16-year-olds register so they'll be ready to go when they're 18. That's just a, you're asking for trouble. The fact that they claimed the 10,000 dead people voted in the 2020 election, but they didn't have any proof that they did. And see, this is the issue. Now, was she sincere, though? I know just listening to it and watching her speak, I can tell when people are crying and, you know, acting and crying and not acting. There's no way you could make that voice naturally. I, take it. I'm a crier. Ask my wife. I'm a crier. Recently got some wonderful news in our family, which I'll share with you later. And um, I, that's all I did. <laughs> I was crying because I was so happy. That part sounded sincere. But the question is, was she that emotional? And was she that uh, shaken up because of the fact that she knew what she was doing was wrong or that she got caught doing it and she didn't think she'd get caught? Well, let's look into that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. What do you mean by the fact that I have a 401k time bomb? eventually this thing is going to implode and you're going to have to pay the government. And so one guy was totally shocked when I told him that, look, if you leave this right now, your IRA to your three sons, each one of them will have to declare it and pay taxes on it immediately over the next 10 years. He says, well, they don't need the money. I said, well, the government doesn't care if they need the money. They're going to pay taxes on it. And that's what I mean by the fact that you're going to pay taxes. I had a guy say, did dad really leave me this? I said, yeah, he did. He didn't even know that they changed the law. Most people don't know that they've changed the law. And so it is a horrible situation, especially when there's ways you can mitigate it and not have it be so bad for the family and have it be better off for you. That's what I mean. We try to take the tick out of the ticking time bomb 
Your 401k is a ticking tax time bomb. Leave a legacy for your heirs, not a tax bill. Call Dennis Wilson and his team today. 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial Services for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh for taking a look and listen at the testimony of Jenna Ellis today in the Fulton County courtroom uh, where she had agreed to a plea bargain deal where she pled guilty to one felony char uh, charge of uh, uh, aiding and abetting uh, the uh, disruption of the election you know, under false pretenses, gathering people who were, they were claiming could be electors, who could file the challenge to upend the election results. And again, do I think the election was rigged? Of course I do. Everybody does. I mean, there were 300-something different laws that were passed, most of them illegally, to try to set us up for where we were. There's no way that the Democrat turnout goes from 66 million from Hillary Clinton four years earlier to 81 million for Joe Biden. I mean, you know that there, what was it, the Mayor Daley speech up in Chicago, vote, vote early and vote often? I mean, Democrats have been using that tactic for years. And Republicans sit on the sideline clutching, clutching their pearls saying, how is this happening? And I read a article in Christian Post earlier today that said, more and more churches will be engaged in ballot harvesting. <laughs> it's about time. It's been legal in California since 2018. But to hear her tearful you know, plea to the court, reading the apology letter, getting it entered into the record, which some of the others may or may not do, uh, begs the question, was there real contrition there? I think there was. I think there absolutely was real contrition. But to the point of saying, I trusted the other attorneys, it was moving so frenetic, it was so fast and furious, that's the point for me where I get out. They're running about a five to seven man crew trying to overturn election results in seven states, and they had three weeks to do it. There was no physical way, no possible way, that they could go through legal channels and get this done. This is the legacy of the Donald Trump presidency that will just leave a bad taste in my mouth until Jesus comes back. For as many ways as God used this man, I won't suggest that it was Donald Trump on his own. Mike Huckabee told me that, right? I said, hey, the reason he moved the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem was because we told him he should, and then he thought about it, came back a couple days later and said, yeah, you're right, it's the right thing to do. I don't think for a minute that that's happening just on his own accord. But then when it came time to challenge the election and then the ego gets in the way and all of a sudden, oh, I mean, are we frustrated? Are we angry because the elections aren't fair? because they might be rigged? Absolutely, we should be. We have this righteous indignation in our hearts. But do we think so much of ourselves that we don't, that for some reason James 4.10 just jumps out of the pages of Scripture right now when I think of people who are aspiring to do great things, and yet James reminds us that if we humble ourselves on the side of the Lord, he will lift us up. When I see Christians who aspire to great things and accomplish them, I'm always amazed, especially when I hear them giving glory to God. And I'm not just talking athletes. I'm talking about people in the academic world, the legal world, people who are really influencing the culture, and they don't always get big headlines. But it's amazing how humility goes hand in glove with success in God's economy, whatever that success looks like. I really hope and pray for Jenna Ellis and the other defendants in this case that there's a little bit of soul searching going on right now, that there's some self-examination going on right now and asking the question, did we start breathing our own air? Did we start reading our own headlines? Did we start thinking that we could actually turn this thing around? Knowing quite frankly that they were some of the same people who didn't see this coming and should have? 
Politics is a tough business. It is definitely not for the faint of heart. Yours truly would much rather comment on it than actually get involved in it. So my hat's off to anybody who's running for city council or school board or state senate, whatever. We've had a lot of rank-and-file folks who've come on the bottom line show and said, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and run for that. And I, I think it's wonderful. I think it's great for us to get civically involved. But if we lose sight of who the most important audience is, I will never forget this quote from Jim Caviezel, as long as I have breath, talking about the movie Sound of Freedom and the role of you know the human trafficking and the role of the church and, and, and the American government and other places trying to stop the flow of this. And some who would back away saying, oh, it's not my cause. I don't want to fight this. I mean, I, I, I don't want to alienate people. And he asked the question, he said, when did Christians become the people who are more afraid of mankind than of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of all knowledge. It's the beginning of reverence for God. And if we lose that reverence, then we might wind up getting turned over to worldly temporal consequences. Now, it's not to say Christians won't ever suffer for our faith. There are Christians all over the world who are doing that right now. But there's a righteous way to suffer and there's an unrighteous way to suffer. Let's choose the path of righteousness. Let's take the high road of serving God. That's the bottom line.